Welcome to Soul Talk, a podcast founded and created by Monica Ramirez, the warrior of love. Soul Talk was created in 2020 when a pandemic hit and we were in lockdown. She wanted to have exciting conversations with open-minded people so they could understand different aspects of herself and she could help others in the same way. She interviews healers, coaches, therapists, psychics, readers, channelers, mediums, intellectuals, poets, artists, and more. She calls it Soul Talk because it started as a conversation from soul to soul. Hello everyone, this is Monica Ramirez, Warrior of Love, and welcome back to Soul Talk. And today we have a, a very good friend of mine that I met in Harvard and Blue Talks. She was one of the speakers. And when I start talking to her, she is she has a speciality in something that all parents with teenagers we need. And uh, I'm so grateful that uh, she accepted an invitation for Soul Talk. And uh, her name is Elizabeth Bennett. And let me read you a little bit before we present her. A little bit, what does she do? She helped parents navigate the world of teenagers. With an over 35 years of, of teaching, administration, and coaching experience, Elizabeth offers a unique blend of leadership and vision and vast knowledge of background. And honestly, Elizabeth, she's been my life savior for my own teenager. And, and I have you guys have to listen to her and hear her out. Elizabeth, thank you so much for accepting my invitation. Well, thank you for considering me, Monica. It's a, it's a delight to be here with you. Thank you. Elizabeth, I know you've been in the uh, teaching and for 35 years or uh, for 35 years and you got out of school and what did make you decide to become a coach for Well, I had been doing some coaching obviously along the way with parents because oftentimes parents would come to see me and they would say things like you know, I don't understand what's going on with my child. I, you know, this hasn't happened before. Or, you know, I, I don't know how to connect. I don't know what to say to them. I don't know how to engage. And, and I feel like we're, we're separate and we're moving away from each other. So can you help? So with that kind of conversation, and then the conversation of the students who, who I, you know, coached or mentored or, you know, even just talking and walking in the hallway and so on. And they would say things like, you know, my parents don't understand me. They don't get me. You know, they, I, I feel like I don't have a voice. Nobody listens. You know, I, I don't know how to connect with them. And then all we do is yell. And so I wanted to be that bridge or that chasm or that filling that gap between what students are saying or what teens are saying and what their parents are saying and what they're going through. Because in the bigger picture of it, they're both, they both end up being heartbroken because neither one can connect. Neither one feels like they're listened to or they're valued or so on. And even as a parent, sometimes they feel that way too. So when I was in education, I, you know, I had that, that was part of of what was going on in my life throughout the years, whether it was when I was a, a classroom teacher or when I first started in administration and then as I ended my career as a school principal. And so I felt that I wasn't finished. I wanted to continue to do this work because I'm heartbroken by the statistics that indicate that 
Suicide is the second cause of death of teens. And we have children who are eight and nine years old who have barely started this life. They're still babies and they're taking their lives because they don't see beyond this day. And so, you know, I, I use this opportunity now to be able to have conversation with parents, to get them to take a look differently, just a, a different perspective. This is not about judgment. This is simply just about how about if you try this rather than saying, you know, like, hi, how was your day? Because that usually ends up only having a one word response. Basically, it's fine from the team, right? And the parent is saying, well, you know, like, tell me about your day. Well, what'd you do all day? Well, nothing. Well, what do you mean you did nothing, right? So you can see that and you can hear that escalation. Meanwhile, the, the teenager is becoming sort of complacent or whatever, and up goes that hoodie, in go the earbuds, out comes the cell phone, and they're out of there. Now, they're brokenhearted, too, because their parent didn't ask them a different kind of question or didn't want to investigate. And, and it's, not, it's, it's not the parent's fault either, because if you only have one way of being able to see things or think of things, you wouldn't necessarily think of another question because you think the question you're asking is okay. And it is. I mean, how was your day is a good question. But if you typically get the same kind of response, then you need to think of something different. So it might not be a question or it might be um, like a sentence starter. So tell me something that happened in your day, which is a little, just a tiny shift to help the open the conversation. And the worst part that I see with teenagers that once in a while I also coach teenagers, and uh, of course you can't coach your your kids. <laughs> it's, right. It is it doesn't work like that. Like everybody knows, try to talk to your kid, and if they're close already to you, you need someone else to talk to them. And the majority of the time, even if you're very close to your kid, you need someone else to break through. It doesn't matter how close you are. But, well, that's point apart. <laughs> I feel that the majority of the parents that I observe and see or, or deal, they're living in a, a different time. It's, I still hear that because I say so. <laughs> You're going to do this because I say so. No explanations attached. And the teenager that is so completely hormonal, they already feel invalidated. And more for this time. It was a very different time when we used to say, because I say so. Yeah. How do you deal with parents that they do not comprehend the damage they're doing to their kid? Because they're the piece, a different time. The piece about that is I help them to understand that that was where they lived. And those were the expectations of a time when they were growing up, which is it, it's very similar to mine. So my parents said things like, you know, speak only when you're spoken to. Children should not be seen and not heard. You know, money doesn't grow on trees, the typical kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And what I learned from that, even from my own family, was that was of their time. That was an expectation of the time. And it was likely 
what they heard from their parents as well. Because, I mean, when I look at my own parents based on their age now, you know, their families were in the depression or they were children during the depression. So there wasn't, there wasn't lots going on. Everything was very strict. You, you know, I said this, you do it. That's it. Either a strap came out or a spoon or something because you would get that on your backside, right? As we move from that, I noticed that my parents were still in that same place as well. And I mean, I lived through it and grew up. And also, I mean, with my own professional development and my own personal development and growth and so on, I understand that that's what they knew. And that was it. There wasn't, there weren't books that they could read, nor did they have the time because both of my parents were working as are many parents now in this difficult and tumultuous time where, you know, they're, they're trying to do the best for their children. They're trying to get them to do things. They're taking them or paying for activities for them to be in, and they're busy working. And so they don't see that their words really do have an impact and that it's a filter that they're looking through from their life behind them. And so what what I what I strive to do, and I'm certain that it's it's similar to with you in chatting with parents, is to be able to open those those blinders. And it's this is not about judgment. This is simply just take a look and understand that your filters and your background have an impact on how you respond. Sure, it is. They are so terrified, the parents, to judge their own parents, not in a bad way, just to observe what things went wrong with them. Mm-hmm. We hear the, the, in Mexico, we call it the chancla, the, the sandal. Okay. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> the, 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 fly, the flying chancla, the flying sandal. <laughs> like that's what, because we, we all grew up with the flying chancla <laughs> and we, and they don't want us to observe that part. What wrong? What things were wrong with our parents? Because we don't want to repeat the same mistakes. Because right. the results are not going to be the same. The kids nowadays, they're they're brilliant. They're smarter. They're they're different than the generations that we grew up. It's not the same kind of generations because they have way more information to start. They have Google. We did not have Google. You know? <laughs> Years before it was, it was very different. Now they can get all the information they they want from anything on internet. If they don't get it at home, they were gonna get it in the school, but they're gonna get it. So it's very different time that the kids are coming now than when we were growing up, and those parents are too afraid to look at the mistakes that the parent did so they can change it. Well, and I think I think there's a space too. Monica, where we need to be able to, they need to be able to give themselves permission to know that their parents did the best they could. It's not, this is not, you know, blaming them. This is not doing anything because, I mean, we could be in that blame game and that just spirals us down, but to acknowledge and to see that it was a way of being at that time, they did the best they could with what they knew at that time. And they felt that they were doing a good job and they didn't know that they could have conversation with other people because things at that point in time were much more secretive. You know, if something happened in your home, that was where it was. Nobody talked about it. Yeah, it was zip. 
now, you know, we have this opportunity to be able to have parents have conversation. And that's, that's what I do. That's, that's part of what my focus is, is to give parents some new and exciting skills about being able to have courageous conversations with their teens. Because it's, you're absolutely right. We are in a different time. And this is not about losing control or thinking that, oh my God, now, you know, we're just going to be best friends because that's not the answer either. We need to be able to find a space and a place. And this is what I talk about with parents in order to find a, a place and a space that has boundaries because you still are the parent and they still are your child. It doesn't matter how old they are. Oh my God, I go and visit my mother right now and she's, you know, in her late 80s and she still, you know, points her finger and says, don't talk to me like that, right? So I I respect the whole idea that she's still my mother. Yes. And I, and I think that space where we are now really is about navigating relationship and it is about listening and understanding. And that's one of the, the tenants or one of the strategies that I work with is, and I actually have five of them, uh, five strategies of dedicated listening, where you don't start with judgment, but you start with listening. Yes. Because you need to put the judgment on the back seat because your children are of a different time. And so they have, they have different things to say. They have a different perspective than we have as adults. I don't know to what point a human being forgot what it was unconditional love and more for a parent. Because what is it really unconditional love is remove the judgment yeah, and just love. I'm not going to say that do not punish them or prize them for whatever mistake they do. I'm not saying that, that do not be a parent. But when you're judging every single step they are doing, you're not teaching and you're Instead of teaching, you're just judging and the kids are going to close down. But part of loving them, it is teaching them. For like that, they can make better choices and not making choices for them. Because sometimes they need to learn from their own mistakes. Right. So So it's a new place of modeling. So that when you demonstrate the way that in which you react to something... They're looking and they're watching. And although they might not say anything, they're still, you know, filing that back here to say, well, that's how my that's how my mother did it, or that's what my father did. And so therefore it must be okay. So that's when we have to take that step and say, hmm, are we making the best choices? And are we responding in a way that we think we might like our children to respond? We do the same as the kids are observing us how we act as a parents. Yeah. As the same way we observe our parents and following the same recipe. But if that recipe we already know the results, if we go back to our our own inner feelings, how we make us feel that when we could not say our truth or we have to hide our things, our kid our kid, it doesn't matter, uh, our kid is feeling exactly the same way as we felt if we make memory. It doesn't matter how old are you you still remember your horrible teenager years. <laughs> so when the moment you remember, oh gosh, I, I, my daughter asked me all the time, how do you deal with that when you were a teenager? And it's like, oh, 
well, for me, it was horrible, mijita, and this happened and so and so. I would not make that same choice because it took me to this and this and this and this. That's a teaching moment. Mm-hmm. But if we do not talk and we are not vulnerable with our kids, they already know, and more when they're teenagers, that we're not Superman or Superboy, <laughs> a Superman. They already know that because in that time and the teenagers, they have the stage that we are in a way kind of the enemies. And it's, it's weird when you find a kid that they don't see their parent as their enemy when they're teenagers. Am I right? Yes. And I think I think that's, and you mentioned a, a point about it before, about being more, more vulnerable. Now, I know on the spectrum of parenthood too, you know, we, we started in this spectrum where like with my parents or with yours or your grandparents or so on, you know, the pendulum was way over here. And everything was secretive and everything was, you know, you don't tell anybody anything. This is, you know, whatever's going on in our house is going on here and you can't say anything. And now it's swung all the way in the other direction that sometimes children know too much. They know too much about the the things that happen in the home. That sometimes some of the the, um, conversations with adults should just be there until such time as you feel that you can share some of it. Now, with that too, you know, we are hoping that the pendulum comes someplace in the middle here where we can have some conversation with our teenagers and say, look, you know, this is going on. You probably notice, or, you know, we're having some difficulties or, you know, or something that happened at work or, or being, Let me think of an example. Let's say, for example, um, Sophie comes home and you've been out and working and doing whatever. And, you know, something happened with someone that you were in relationship. And so you're angry about that. And she comes in the door and, you know, she says something or does something or she leaves a plate on the counter, whatever the situation is. Right. And you say something. Now, the response that the response that you could think of in your head is, oh my God, that had nothing to do with her. I'm Sophie. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that happened. You know, I was having a bad day or somebody just, you know, annoyed me. I could use other language, but we'll, we'll keep it safe. And you know, that, that person just annoyed me. We've been chatting about this for a while. The situation isn't resolved and I got angry with you and I'm sorry. That sometimes doesn't even happen in a house, right? That kid gets nailed for that dish that's on the, which is way more, I mean, the parent got ballistic over something that really was inconsequential. Okay, the plate's on the counter. You keep, well, they do that all the time. Okay, so have a conversation about it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not helpful when you leave your plate on the counter. Could you put it in the dishwasher? That's it. Or in the response to how you how you reacted to her about saying, oh, look, I, you know what? I'm really sorry. I realized that I got angry with you more than I needed to. You know, this is what happened in the day. Or you don't even need to explain it. You can just say that wasn't about you and I'm sorry. Or that- being able to be way more vulnerable in terms of saying, you know what? I I feel happy or I feel sad or I feel because we often as adults are so guarded with our emotions, that's also what we're modeling for our children. 
So they don't know how to respond. And oftentimes you'll see them not having any emotion at all because they don't know what to do with what's inside. And so sometimes it will be they'll get angry at something because they got into trouble at home and off they go and they they nail a kid in the playground. And so there's there's that space where we have to have those conversations in order to explain the impact of our words and the impact of our actions. Welcome. In choosing to be part of this group, you have said yes to yourself. You've chosen to confront those limitations keeping you from achieving the life of your dreams. Monica Ramirez, Warrior of Love, is a transformational belief coach. She's a psychic channeler, certified NLP, life coach, BQH, that is hypnotherapy, Akashic Records reader, public speaker, writer, and artist. She works with many modalities and has created her own, like this one, to help you let go of the limitations and achieve the transformation you desire, so you can anchor your emotions that you desire. Monica will be hosting a new session every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central Time, leading the group through a guided meditation, then proceeding to work with people individually. So join Monica here in this free journey by joining this Zoom link. I learned a long time ago, more with Sophie, she was, she's been my amazing teacher, my daughter, my teenager daughter. Um, one time I went, I got so mad when I went after her, and I did not tell her later on when I realized, oh my God, I should not tell her this and this and this. And I did not tell her, I'm sorry. Days passed, and she was angry, she was acting up, and one day it's like, okay, we need to sit down and we need to talk. And she told me, it's like, what is wrong with you? And she like, you haven't told me you're sorry two days ago when you told me this and this and this. And I realized, like, oh, my God, how I will feel myself if someone tell me the same things and they don't tell me I'm sorry? And it's like, I will be mad. And she has all the right to be mad at me. And, of course, she's acting up because I will be acting up, too. <laughs> if I get, <laughs> because we're trying to... Say we no, as parents we're trying to think they're still little kids, but in reality, they are brilliant. They they can be like any of our friends, adults, and they deserve the same respect as any other human being. Not because they are little, they don't deserve that. I'm sorry, and I know many parents that is very hard for them to say mm-hmm. I am sorry when we messed up. We're not perfect. We are going to mess up once in a while or many times. But the important thing is say, I'm sorry. I should not say that. And I was angry or I was depressed or I was sad or any emotion we were. And I should not say that to you. And that's a big problem with the kids. And unfortunately, like you mentioned at the beginning, and I I do want to bring it again. Because I believe that point that you did, it was very important. There are many kids, many teenagers that are trying to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, today in the school, my daughter, one kid would try to commit suicide in the high school. At school. Mm-hmm. And this has happened more often than it should. Maybe even the killings in the United States and the schools are unattended suicides. Not necessarily trying to kill other kids, it's just trying to someone shoot me, someone kill me. And that's uh that's a gelling of of help. And yes. 
and the adults were not listening. The parents were not listening enough what the problem really is with our kids. Well, and I think part of that comes from, it's not only the words, it's not only the responses that they give that, you know, so hi, how was your day? Fine. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about that. Like you won't, you always say that it's fine. Well, you know, I mean, school's not my favorite thing. So I tell you that. Okay. You know what? I, I ask you to tell me how your day is because I really just want to know. I want to know that things are going okay. I want to know that you're, you're not, you know, that you're not being bullied at school or that, you know, that you're, you're doing well. And if you're not doing well, then maybe we can help to support you or so on. That's where the conversation needs to be because I've had, I've had a couple of friends who have lost children and you know, because when I speak about this and I say, you know, this is the statistic and most people's response is, oh, that wouldn't happen to my kid. Well, that's exactly what those parents who lost children told me, that I had no idea. And it's not, it again, it's not about blame or it's not about judgment. It's simply just, this is, this is important. Your child is the most important thing in your life. And if they're not, they should be. And so when you, and, and for some parents, I get it. It's, it's different and it's scary because they might not have had that kind of relationship with their own family. So they might not know what to say or do. And it's, that's why I call it courageous conversations because sometimes you're stepping out of your own comfort zone and saying, Hey, you know, like you can start the conversation. You know, I don't have all the answers. I just want to try something different with you because I feel that I'm losing my connection with you. Like that's honest, that's vulnerable, and it's right out there so that the, your teen hears it and understands that, oh my God, you know, maybe they're trying. But on the other hand, with the teenager, if they haven't seen it before, and they haven't seen, you know, that you're interested or that you're going to be vulnerable, or if it's not a usual kind of interaction with you, then yeah, it's going to take the teenager a while to engage too, because they're trying to develop a sense of trust because they're not sure. Is this a, a one-time thing? Is this just something that they've heard on, you know, Dr. Phil or some other place that this is the way, you, you know, <laughs> that's not what it's about. It's about really being vulnerable and saying, I need to try something different because I don't want to lose you. And that's how I feel at the moment. You are becoming a teenager. Or I'm trying to give you some space and so on, but I still really need to know what's going on so that I can help support you. And something also that I see happens a lot when you're finally your teenager decide to open up. Uh, with their parents, and the parents start judging them. Oh, yes, you're doing all this wrong. Your thoughts are wrong. The way you dress is wrong. The word, the music you're, is wrong. Your friends are wrong. Everything it is wrong. They're just gonna close up. You need to remove your judgment. And yes, my, the music they're listening probably we don't like it. The way they dress, the way they talk, 
the, with the new ways of talking in 2020, you know, 2022. <laughs> and this might be different than us. But that in the moment when we start judging, that's in the moment we're losing. Because they are going to close up and it's going to take us way more effort because they are already going to remember every time I try to talk to my parents, they are judging me. Uh, my daughter, I took her to get a haircut and she chose her haircut. You know, she showed the photo to the hairstylist and she get her haircut and the bangs in front longer and short in the back and they already the hairstylist and me, we already know her that she will say however she wanted. So she didn't even ask me, are you sure? No, my daughter is the one that chose. She's 15 years old. And uh, and in the morning, when I was going to take her to school, I don't see the bangs. And I told her, what happened? Just got your hair cut yesterday and I don't see the bangs. Like, oh, I was so afraid that you were going to judge me. Like, wait, since when I judge you, how do you dress? how you comb your hair or the way you paint your hair or the way whatever you look like mm-hmm. since when. And then she realized that she was bringing memories from other parents, how they treat their kids, and it was not necessarily me. But if I did not open up and say it, she will have that memory of other parents, how they treat their kids, and she will put it on herself. And it was, and that's not even our relationship. It's someone mm-hmm. else's relationship. And that happens with all our kids. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the other thing that happens sometimes too is what they hear in their home. So I can use myself as a personal, a personal example. When I was growing up, my Father didn't like some cultures and there were, you know, there were always complaints, always different things that he was saying about other people and so on. And as well, I mean, he certainly made derogatory comments about, you know, people who were gay or this or that. And so when I, in hearing those things, it was very challenging for me to have any kind of conversation about anything that was like that. So when I was going through sort of a time when I was you know, trying to figure out my lifestyle or, you know, where I was going to, what I was going to do and what I was going to be um, and how I was going to show up in the world, I couldn't share any of that with them because I knew that they already had, you know, this disposition, not so much with my mother, but because, you know, she was at that point in time, you know, very much committed to what my father would say. And so therefore that was the way it was. And so that became very challenging. And I know that, you know, many students throughout the years that I've taught or, you know, that I've spoken to or that who have shared, you know, intimate things with me have said similar kinds of things that they find it very difficult because they're going to be judged or they're going to be kicked out of their homes because sometimes that happens with, you know, older teenagers and so, you know, that's a, that's a place of, of challenge as well. So then they have to go elsewhere to be able to find someone who's going to be able to connect with them. So whether it's a school counselor or a teacher or a coach or, you know, in my case, I had the good fortune to, to be able to have connections with some students where they would share that kind of, of thing. But, you know, that's heartbreaking as well. 
because it should be their parents that they're able to celebrate with or they're they're able to bring home their their worst thoughts or you know their hardest trauma or so on to be able to say what's going on there uh, what we're talking about kids that they're they're gay and yep. many form there are many forms but they're so afraid to talk with their parents about that I have heard so many this is crazy stories <laughs> like getting yep. beaten with the Bible or <laughs> that's, oh yeah because they're gonna beat it out of you yeah or another one that actually they beat the kid because they they find out that the kid was was homosexual, and it's like and the kid went the, the other day uh, at school all beat up and is afraid to the parents call uh, human services because then they're gonna put him in a foster care and he's already seventeen, so in reality it's just gonna be a few a few months in there and then after that to the street. So they will prefer to stay with the parent that actually is beating them, beating them than to go on and in the street because they don't have nothing else. Yeah. So those stories are so, so, so hurtful. The parents need to understand that, yes, this is new generations. The world is changing and it's not contagious. <laughs> and it's not because some parents believe that. And they need to know that this is not contagious This is not a punishing a punish of anything to them. It's just different predilections. And it is important for that because they're already going to have it very hard at school with the bullies. They don't need more bullies at home. Yeah. That's a clear case of many kids commit suicide. Yeah. Because just that need of acceptance and love. Yeah, we're in a in a very very challenging time for for parents because they're you know again they're trying to do their best with what they know and and sometimes they need to go beyond themselves and to seek out help and part of the challenge is with parents that I've experienced is that they're afraid to move out beyond themselves because that might make them look powerless or that might make them look like they they're not strong or so on and on the contrary that's what makes them so much more brilliant as parents to be able to seek out help help just to say you know help me understand how this works help me understand if my child is transgender or if they're gay or you know what do i do if you know if there's um you know, interracial marriage, because that was a big thing for a time too, right? Oh my God, what am I going to do? I mean, and so even just seeking that help in order for you to expand your knowledge and to expand your opportunity of acceptance, then that's what's so much more powerful for parents than it is to feel that that makes them look weak. On the contrary, Not doing anything is a sign of weakness because all you're doing is you're just thinking about, you know, how am I affected or what are the neighbors going to say? Because, you know, again, parents get caught up with that too. It's not just a kid thing. Well, you know, what are my friends going to say if I show up like this? You know, adults are doing the same thing. They're saying, oh, well, what are my friends going to say? What are my family going to say? Well, you need to have enough courage just to say, you know what, this is my family. These are my children and I accept them however they show up because 
They're children of God, if that happens to be your religion, and they're my children. And so that's, you know, they, I love them unconditionally, and this is how I am with them. And if you don't like it, then that's your problem. Yes, and something that I would like to say to add to what you just said is very important. It is that what is more important as a part? Something that too, everybody should think about this. Your kid being happy in a life and supported by mm-hmm. you, or your kid thinking suicide, or yeah. actually trying it. So how much you love your kid, because no neighbor, no family or friends or whoever is judging your kid worth more than the love that you have for your own kid. Mm. I believe that's important. They think about that point. Yes, thanks for saying that. That is, that's, it's so crucial. Yes. So... What advice you can tell to the parents to to search for help when they... What are the red flags? Let's put it like that. That's the question. What are the red flags the parents should uh, notice so they have to search for help more when they're going into depression, deep depression, or things are not going right? Well, I think there are a couple of things that I could suggest, and one of them is... If they are continually isolated, to be able to start having those conversations yourself and not just say, you know, so what are you doing? But really, like, that's that's when courageous conversations need to happen for you to at least make an effort to say, so what's going on? Or I noticed that you're spending a lot more time in your room. You know, I, I noticed that you're You know, sometimes when I get up in the middle of the night, your light is still on because you're still playing games or you're still like to be able to identify things and say them in a way that you're presenting information as opposed to, you know, I told you to turn out your light. You know, it's more about help me understand what's going on with you so that if you need my help or if we need to go someplace to have help, that we can do this together. And then the other piece of that, again, is about, you know, active listening and, and being dedicated to, to making some time in your schedule. And I'm, and I'm serious about this one. You know, m- be intentional about your time from your calendar and the time that you spend with your child. Those are, are elements that are going to help you, help them see that you really care about them. Well, I want to give them their space. That's not what this is about. This is about dedicated listening. This is about being intentional, setting time in your calendar, and being intentional about that time in your calendar. This is time I'm I want to spend with you. You can go for a coffee, you can go to a restaurant, you can go to the movies, you can go for a walk in the park, a skate, a bike ride, whatever it is. But it really needs to be intentional. And even if it's the first time that you're doing it, then you can say to your kid, you know what, I want to try something different with you. And even if you don't talk or even, you know, it's still dedicated time. And some parents have shared with me that sometimes that dedicated time could be in their car or in their van or whatever. So they're close enough and far enough away at the same time. 
They don't have to look at each other, but they can carry on conversation together. So if you're missing some of those things, if you're not spending any time, if you see that your kid is is depressed or you don't even know, then start to inquire. Ask them some questions about that. So I notice that you look a little more sad. I notice that you, you know, that when I'm not seeing any of your friends coming to your house or that you're not you're not going out to be with your friends. Those can be red flags for a number of things, but they certainly are ones that you can pay attention to to see. And ask them, you know, maybe they need some help. Maybe they need to speak to somebody other than their parent. Because some kids are, are can be like that where they can say, I think I really do need help. I'm very depressed or, you know, I'm so sad all the time or whatever. And ask them about their feelings. Like, tell me more about how you're feeling about this or that. And at the same time, when you begin to see some of those red flags, you can also investigate some resources in your community. So you can go to your, you know, healthcare clinic, or you can look up a a therapist that deals with kids or, or even just to go for yourself and say, you know, I need some, I need some assistance in, in terms of what other suggestions might somebody else have? Because sometimes just that, as you said before, having somebody else be there to help support you, it's never, never a bad thing. It can only make your, your connection with your child more powerful. I totally agree with you. And another thing, if they have more than one child and says, okay, I'm going to give this time to my kids. It doesn't work like that. Yes, you can have time for your kids, two or three, four, or whatever you have, how many you have, but make at least one hour for each one separately. That's something that I I had that mistake, that I was trying to, uh, because I did not have enough time because I would overwork. And I tried to put all my kids, okay, this is the time we're going to have dinner all together, and that's my time with them, and that's it. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. No. Yeah. Each one needs their own time because each one is different and they have different needs. And they're yeah. passing through different stuff, each one of them. And even if it's as as little as 20 minutes or half an hour just to get it started, right? Then that that way they're feeling they're feeling connected to you. And it's going to take them some time too because if it's not something that they're used to doing with you, then it's going to be strange and unusual. And they're going to be squirmy about it too, because they don't know what, what's going on. But when you when you give them your heart and say, I just want to do this because I don't I don't want to lose you in the end. You know, I want to be able to stay connected. So let's try and give this a shot. But not at the expense of saying, well, I gave up my golf game for this. That's not that's not where you need to go. You just need to suck it up, even if you don't speak for that half hour or you just have one or two little bits of conversation and say, okay, well, the next time maybe we'll do something else. Maybe we'll have some different kind of conversation. So that it, it because like anything, it's about building a connection and it's about building on that that relationship. And that everybody needs to be able to contribute to make it work. 
And it's going to be a little slower with some kids than others or with some adults than others. But again, that's why I call them courageous conversations, because it really is stepping out of that comfort space and being able to be vulnerable and say, hey, I want to try something different. I want to ask you a question in a different kind of way. You know, help me along with this. So invite them in to the conversation too, so that they have they have their um, con- excuse me their contributing features, and you have some of yours, and you put them together. That's how you grow and learn. And money do not make people more happy. What I'm trying to say is this: money pay the bills. Money gives some luxuries. I'm not going to deny that. But not because the kid is depressed and I buy them a new dress or a new toy or a new whatever. It is you're substituting the time that you're going to be with them. That's something that the parents is like, oh, I'm working all the time because I have heard this. I'm working all the time. It should be enough when I give them things. That's not, <laughs> that's not how it works. I have heard that a lot. I just spoke with someone recently who, because I do work from time to time at our drop-in center, which is, um, it's not very far from my home, in fact. And, you know, men and women uh, are arrive there for a variety of reasons. Some of them, you know, it's been addiction or, or, you know, marriage difficulties or whatever. They're just down on their times at the moment. And I had a conversation just a couple of weeks ago about this guy who is there because, you know, he's been homeless and he's trying to do good things and so on. And he said, you know, as a kid, I had a I had a fabulous home and I had lots of things that were going on and my parents bought me things and they put me in things. And I, you know, was an athlete and I was this and I was that. But he said the thing that I missed was their love. And it's like, okay, that just rips your heart right out, right? Because he said that was, so as I progressed through my teens and into my 20s, I just started doing more drugs and hanging out with people that were unsavory and doing things that just weren't good for me. And he said, and, you know, I, I missed it. I missed all of that time. You know, it was fine to do those activities and stuff, but that's not what I needed. And that's not what I wanted. I wanted to be loved and I didn't. Their love was just giving me things and sending me places and buying me stuff. And I missed out on the on the thing that was the most important. And so the, the people have to understand that drugs, alcohol, any kind of vice is a substitute for something. Yeah. And if their kid is starting with that, they need to find what they're missing because they're substituting that to numb the pain they're feeling. So instead of judging your kid because he's got, uh, getting into drugs and getting into alcohol, address that. But address that also observing what is the lack, what is missing from that relationship, why your kid is feeling to numb themselves in mm-hmm. whatever meaning it is. Yeah. And of course, address it with the proper therapies, uh, rehab, whatever is needed. Whatever supports, yeah. Because sometimes I think, you know, like I've had some parents who have said to me, 
you know, I, my child came to see me and said, you know, they were going to a party this weekend and chances were great that there were drugs there. And they were a little concerned about the peer pressure, right? Because you get, you know, you get teased about that and, oh, you know, it's not a big deal and so on. And the the parent was thrilled that their child said to them, would it be okay if I tried? Because I just want to see what it's about. And the parent said, you need to be safe if you choose that, you know, it, it's not the, the best choice, but if you choose, then give me a call when the party is over and I'll come and get you. And then we can have some more conversation about it later. That's a good news story, Monica. That's not one that typically happens, right? But that's at, at least that gives parents hope to say that, yes, some of those conversations, because would you prefer for your kid not to tell you and go out and hide and do drugs all the time? Like that's the, that could be the alternative. And we all know where that goes. But the other thing that I wanted to, to speak to that you brought up before about parents working. So many parents work thinking that, um, that they want to have a better life for their children. So I, I have worked as a teacher and a school principal in a variety of um, high needs areas where families come from places and spaces in the world. Some of them come just with the shirts on their back and they've come to see me because, you know, in our, in some of our schools, we help to support with extra clothing or food or, you know, a breakfast club or whatever it is that we can help support families with. And they come and they say, you know, I, I have two or three jobs. I'm going from this job to this job to this job, because all I want to do is make the life better for my children than we had in wherever we came from. I get that that's important and they feel um, an expectation from their community and an expectation that likely has been uh, something that's been taught to them about the importance of work and, and so on. But here's the disconnect now with the space of having parents work so much and they got to go in on weekends and they have to go in on nights and they take double shifts and so on. What that does is that increases that separation of connection with your children. Because although you think that, well, if I, if I work harder and I make more money, then I can give them more things, right? That's, that's that cycle that families get into. And that's not what children need. And the, the thing about it that I noticed, and this is a, a personal thing, is that I just recently retired from being a school principal and shifting into speaking. And, you know, I have a book coming out and, and a variety of other things. And what I noticed is that work is still there. It didn't change. It didn't disappear. It didn't go away. The work of, of where I was at that school, I was instantly replaced because the school had to continue, because the work had to be done, because the children have to be taught. So it's the same for parents to be able to measure that out for themselves and see really in the bigger picture is the work more important than their children. That is so true. 
because they, they need to sit down and actually put the priorities straight. Yeah. And they need support, test support or any way you want to look. You can find it with, you can find it for free in the schools where your kids are going. There are many coaches like Elizabeth, even if she's in Canada. <laughs> I am in the United States and, and she is, uh, she helped me with my, she's helping me with my daughter when I was needing support. And there's, thank God after 2020 that we can communicate in Zoom because there are many coaches all around the world mm-hmm. that can support you. Or you can go to your local church or you can talk with your local counselors and choose one. And it is for you. The, the problem that the kid has we as a parent, we started. <laughs> we are the point zero. So we have to <laughs> think ourselves first. So uh, would you have some last words that you would like to, to give to our viewers? Well, Monica, it certainly has been a pleasure being on your show with you. I'm hopeful that whatever words of wisdom that we were able to share tonight, that you know, some of them land with some families, and if they're interested in, um, you know, having conversation with me or you, or you know, they can get in contact with you first to to be in contact with me. Then I would be delighted to help them because this is really about us moving together and coming and having unity together and having families that work. Yes, we want to change the world. Yes, change one. Yep. And we can do it one family at a time. That is true. Uh, the link of uh, Elizabeth is going to be in the description. So if anyone wants to contact her, it is going to be in the description. Uh, go ahead and search for her. Thank you so much. And thank you for everybody for being here. And if this helped you, uh, please uh, write us a review, a like, share with your friends. We appreciate that because it might help someone else. It might even save the life of someone else. So we will appreciate that. Thank you so much. This is Monica Ramirez, Warrior of Love. And thank you for being in Soul Talk. Thank you for joining me today. I would love to share with you my transformational system, Path to the Heart, that I created just for you. Head over to monicaramireswarrioroflove.com and you will find free resources. In there, you can download a masterclass in how to stop being people pleaser and meditations to get you started.